Begin laser ignition sequence. Begin laser ignition! And that will do it. The beam will be lit. Sacramento, stand up. Welcome back to another episode. Actually, this isn't the scheduled programming of Deep in the Bag. Um, starting a new season here called Beam Fiends. It's with me and my pal Hunter Gore. Hunter, introduce yourself. How's it going, guys? Hunter Gore here, Lifetime Kings fan, lifetime friend of Caleb Hodson, our host here. Yes, indeed. Uh, we've been friends since kindergarten. We've also been fans of the Kings since around kindergarten. Um, so that's that's going on uh, 20 plus years. And um, the Kings finally made the playoffs. 16 years after probably going to kindergarten together, we get to watch as adults the Kings in the playoffs last year against the Warriors. And now we're going to do a podcast about the Kings wins. The Kings beams this year. Beams only. Beams only. If you were, if you hear us refer to uh, a win or anything like that is in that like space that would uh, occupy the definition of a win, uh, that's just gonna be beam. Like we're just gonna say beam instead of saying win. So like you hear beam, you know it's a win. Kings won. It's absolute. And if you hear our voice, typically the next day, day of, maybe two days later, depending if we're a little bit late. Maybe the night of. That means the Kings either won that. Um, just that means they, they won their previous matchup. So that's that's the crux of the show. It's going to be very light. It's going to be fun. Um, we're idiots. We don't know shit about basketball other than watching this godforsaken franchise for the last 20 years. But, you know, it's time that we become our true voices of this team, we have a lot of lot to say. We've watched we a lot. Um, we're not very analytical. We're not going to be diving into next gen stats. This is the Lavar Ball of podcasts. Never lost, and we never record after loses. Yeah, we don't fuck losses. We're not. We're not doing it. And you're just going to hear it straight from the heart, straight from the beam. Only positives after after games. You don't want to hear our negative bullshit. We, we thrive off the beam, and that's when we want to record, and that's that's just the facts of this podcast, I believe. And going back to a couple episodes ago, I want my mental health to be happy. I don't want to have to record after a loss where I'm not in a good mood, where I'm not in a good frame of mind. This is... Uh, every single game is going to dictate how the rest of my week goes, or the, the maybe the next day ensuing. It's not like football where it could ruin two weeks of bad mm-hmm. loss, but... Niners are going on by, so I have two weeks to cope with three straight losses. <laughs> I could have had the ultimate trio of losses, Warriors, Niners lost, and then Lakers lost, but the Kings came through for me last night and just absolutely saved the weekend and saved my Monday since here we are. Yeah, let's talk about the weekend because we actually, uh, before we get into the latest beam, uh we got to go to the home opener. There was and no beam, but there was vibes. No beam. The only reason we're going to talk about it is because we went to the game. Um, the Kings Warriors, first matchup since Game Seven of of Golden One or at Golden One last year. Actually, they they did match up a couple times in the preseason. I'm sick of watching the fucking Warriors. Over them, over them, over them. Um, yeah, we got to go. Uh, Hunter had really, really, really nice seats. Uh, shout out the boy Tony Chilino. Yeah, dude, uh, that was kind of a crazy experience because I was lied to on multiple fronts by multiple people about where I was going to be sitting in this game. And I didn't realize until we started walking every step. I was like, holy shit, dude, we're getting close to the court. Next thing you know, I'm three rows up and I'm like, holy shit, I could see Steph Curry sweating right now. And then he wasn't sweating during the game. I can tell you that. <laughs> so the normal, the plan, normally uh, when we go to games together, um, when we grew up not not far from Sac, so every time we're home, we typically go to a few games during the holiday season and whatever. I haven't lived, in, never lived in Sacramento, so I'm not going to be a frequent at these games at this point in my life. 
But when we buy tickets, we typically buy the cheapest nosebleeds. And Golden One does something that a few other arenas do. I know like Levi Stadium has a similar openness to it. But it was more of a baseball thing, it felt like. Yeah. Like, you know, the open concourse. Uh, even Arco was... Well, Arco is worse than Oracle on that front where you cannot see the court if right. you're not sitting in your seat. If you've never been to a professional game. You can't, like, at some places you can see the concourse, some places you can't. Golden One is really, really cool. They have, like, these little... They're not beer holders, but they're kind of like armrests that go all the way around the lower concourse. So you just go up and kind of sit behind the handicap section and you can just stand and it's meant for people to stand mid court. So you don't ever have to have to go up top and you get a great visual of the game. I feel like it's a new like way that they're building stadiums where they can fluctuate the capacity more. The more standing room area they build, the more people they can fit in, the more money they can make for big games like the Lakers and Warriors games back to back. There was almost a sellout on the standing room tickets front. It keeps it makes the stadium a little too little too congested, but it makes the vibes outstanding and the noise even better. Yeah, the vibes are great. It's completely different than like Chase Center or I don't I haven't been to that many NBA arenas, so I can't really compare and contrast, but Chase Center you can't see anything from the concourse. There's curtains, there's like steps you have to walk and all these obstacles and like 10 different ushers before you can even get to your seat. You got to show your ticket 12 times. None of that tomfoolery at Golden One. So I, I stood basically up until like four minutes left in the game. I actually went down when the right before the Kings made their run. They were down. Had a really rough third quarter just to recap that game. Great first half. Absolutely electric. Golden One. Like that that was probably the loudest I've ever heard it at a regular season game. I've never been to a home opener, so that was a new for me, it was just a new kind of yeah. a whole new era. It wasn't different like. on the noise front for me, but the buzz, you know, you don't, you, we've been to some early season Kings games, you know, those are the, the dog days of the season where there were, we're feeling good, but we're not quite sure where we're at yet. Right before we hit the inevitable tank margin around 40, 50 games mm-hmm. in, but it's just a completely different standard this year put on by Monty McNair and Mike Brown and everybody else. And it's just outstanding to see. And the fans are feeling it. Um, biggest takeaway from that game, uh, sloppy, but the energy was fantastic. You know, there's at a point, you know, it's game two, we lost, but I took away from that game. If we play with that type of energy, we're going to win 45, 50 games easily this season. If all, if health and everything else goes, goes according to plan. Yeah. So we're just done with the warriors. Like we have absolutely uh, done. Just done watching them. Another game tomorrow against the Warriors. This will be out by then, but just over it. Went seven games, took Steph Curry dropping 50 on our heads and a, a second half collapse. The Warriors to beat us. We're just getting little brothered and getting, and it's, it's, I don't as, like it. As the little brother of three, I, it feels very, it feels very similar to how my childhood grew up competing, just like, cut from the same cloth, the same mold. Like the Kings are built so like structurally top to bottom, so similar on how they've like approached their rebuild. And they've been trying to rebuild as the Warriors like three times now. And finally Vivek got God. Got I, you know how we were with Monty. We were talking about how long we've been fans. I don't think I've ever sat down and like marked down like the transitions of these rebuilding teams. You know, how many times have we actually like considered ourselves resetting you know, because we have the boogie area era, and then we have the little bit in between that and Fox, and then we have this new Fox rebuild. But I think we rebuilt multiple times in that boogie area, like five, like, yeah. like five, five different, different directions we're gonna go. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just interesting. So when you're having to basically play your your big brother, and the thing, my biggest takeaway is the days of getting lackadaisical efforts from star players against the Kings. Not that that's ever been a problem because we've been so bad that you can't even really notice, but you're going to get the best out of the stars now. And I think we saw that, especially with the Warriors the last few times in that whole series, like Steph gets up to play, play the Kings. Um, I don't know why he, like, I just feel like there's, there's just the way he hit the way he celebrates in golden one, like when he put us to sleep the other night, 
you know, you get to see that in the flesh was very, um, kind of ripped my soul out, but he just has this, like this vendetta. I feel like against the Kings right now. And I, that's why I'm sick of it because like we still have two or three more years of this stuff. And I just, I can't handle it. He's, he's too freaking good. He's just too good. And you know, we, as the little brothers of Northern California now, us as fans have had a front seat to Curry all these years as our team is slowly built up to what they are now. But it's almost a, it's almost a bad satisfaction to feel that's when, when Steph Curry plays us that he wakes up for this. You know, it's a it's a gift and a curse, you know, as a fan around Warrior fans all the time, getting the acknowledgement. It's nice. But Curry, you need to chill the hell out, man. Like quit cooking us, please. Yeah, we went to school both. Didn't we, uh, not to mention, we went to, I mentioned earlier, we went to uh, kindergarten together. But we also went to college together in the Bay Area at San Jose State during this dynasty of a run from the Warriors. So when I say I'm sick of it, like I, I, there's just, there, there's nothing more I can appreciate about it. I'm over Warrior fans. I don't care if this is a so-called rivalry. I don't want them to play each other anymore for a minute. Just give me. Give me a couple months off, but we still got two more matchups in November that we'll definitely be doing a podcast about because the Kings are going to win. Going we to only, win. We only record after wins. This will be the very, we didn't really talk much about the game specifically. Um, let's listen we're not going to talk about losses. That's let's just, listen to our own rule here. Let's just throw that Warrior game in yeah, the dumpster. The, we were there, so we wanted to talk about the vibes a little bit, but this is a win-only podcast. Yeah, so you think uh, we should jump into the little Lakers talk here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Kings won last night against the Lakers in OT, 132-127 behind a really strong De'Aaron game. Um, you know, he... He's, a, no, he's been, a star. He's there's a been star. no letdown to start the year. Uh, he goes for 37, 8, and 4, and shoots fucking 70, let's see, 58%, I'm sorry, 75 from the line. Um, the craziest thing about those stats, you know, like flashy stats, is Hugh sat out large chunks of the first and second half due to foul trouble, and if you looked at the stat line, you wouldn't know that. But this just shows his efficiency and how how great he was in his minutes. Yeah, um, I don't think the. Well, I feel like we're a bad matchup for the Lakers. On paper, you know, because how our problem with size last year, you would think the Lakers would be an issue, but AD is such a softy on night to night. You never know on that front. But he was fantastic as well last yeah, night. Yeah, he. I feel like he could have got. 35 or 40 in that game. And that's what everybody like the mainstream media and Lakers fan bitch. Like he just doesn't have this like killer instinct to just go get 40 every night. As soon as Sabonis fouled out, it should have been an AD catastrophe for the Kings. It should have been, especially considering McGee didn't come off the bench. Like we all figured he would when Sabonis fouled out, the Kings went small with Sasha and AD was posting up hard, almost every possession. And he got visibly frustrated after one, one possession where the, where the Lakers missed a three and he was posted up against Harrison Barnes and didn't get the ball. Yeah. I just, yeah. I mean, I thought they, like they could have went to him every single time. They can't like on paper. Yeah. They don't really match up, but the way the Lakers kind of play, it makes plays right into the Kings. Like you're either getting a ball dominant possession from um, D'Angelo Russell or a ball dominant possession against LeBron. And I think that's to me, um, a recipe for success when it comes to late in the shot clock, those guys having to take tough shots. And I don't know. I, I just thought like get it to AD in the mid post and clear out. There's nobody on the Kings roster that can guard him. A healthy Sabonis out of not in foul trouble. Can't guard. Him. Yeah, no, no offense to Sabonis. I mean, is he can't guard AD when AD, when AD's feeling himself, but when AD's not feeling himself, he, he disappears. So we don't need to worry about him on that front, but it was a great game by the Lakers and a, a game of adversity for the Kings. And yet I still feel like the Kings had more in the tank and they won not as handily as they should have, but they won. Yeah. It was, it was one of those games where I just felt like we could score at will. And every time the Lakers would make a run. So, you know, the Kings led by 
double digits multiple times throughout the game, especially in the second and third quarter. Like they just kind of would act like they were, you know, going to pull away, get above 12, 11, and Lakers would come back. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just I'm starting to really see the age of LeBron. I just, he had a really good game and, and basically dominated the, the pace of play for the Lakers, distributed the ball, shot the ball. Um, you know, had the game tying layup against Keegan, like two seconds or it was like one second. It was not enough time to get a shot off. That's for sure. And, you know, the whole the Lakers narrative over the past few years has been, what do we have to do to make LeBron our second best player? That's been the talk, the talk. You know, I don't know if that's the internal thinking because LeBron always takes the opportunity to put AD on, always, always tells people. That he believes that Anthony Davis is now the best player. And it's just wait and see. You know, I watched that team last night and AD had a great game. But that's LeBron's team. The way they play is around LeBron's style, not AD's style. And, I mean, it's not a terrible thing since LeBron's a unicorn in year 21 still. It's like this psychological thing, I feel like. I think more than anything, people just expect AD. Like, it's so easy to just take more shots, be more aggressive, mm-hmm. be more assertive. But when you're not like... LeBron is the biggest alpha that's ever stepped on the outside of Michael Jordan, like and Kobe Bryant probably, but yeah, they're you, just absolute alphas. Like you play to their their strengths, you kind of play within their like what their vision is of each game, and you can't. I'm not saying you can't go out of line, but like I just there's like this uniformity to where I just don't feel like AD plays as free as if he like if he was the undisputed best player. If there was no LeBron in the Lakers. Like, I think AD would be having monster games. They'd be a little bit more empty, I think, those, like, stat lines. But, yeah. Yeah, dude, I don't I don't fucking get it. I think it's, like, it's... I'd be so ridiculously frustrated as a Lakers fan. Um, but fuck the Lakers. I'm, we're over them. We're over them. That was, that, was that was our Lakers, was that Lakers, Lakers segment of the podcast. Um, any... Let's see. We should, we should just kind of go down the line. I think, like... I don't think that game ever should have got to OT. The Kings did not do a good job closing in the fourth quarter. They were up seven with about a minute 13 left after a big three and then just kind of dwindled the lead. The D'Angelo comes back, hits a three. Kings a little bit sloppy with it on their next possessions and um, ultimately Lakers are able to tie it up. I said on that LeBron take as he got by Keegan, but um, what was your biggest takeaway from that probably impressed you on the Kings side? The whole overtime period was the most impressive thing of the game. You know, Fox coming out early and scoring 20 in the first 15 minutes of the game was absolutely electric. You know, that's something we don't see out of him often. But just the grit of that overtime period, Fox just telling Mike Brown to shove it and walking on the court anyway. No fucks given. And even though he obviously wasn't good to go out there after the game, the guys were talking about just how how badass that was that he just walked out there and just gritted it out. And, you know, from a Mike, from a macro perspective, you know, what's going on in the league with all this resting talk about all the stars sitting out in these low market games. Fox is just, just the alpha of our team and just absolutely went out there and just gritted it out. And I feel like monk and the rest of the boys in overtime just fed off of that and just, just did what they do. You know, monk just feeds off, off of Fox's energy and just big moments. And he just, in a game where I texted to Caleb, these Malik minutes are trash. He absolutely played hero in overtime. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up. Like midway through the third quarter, you're like, oh, this is another bad Malik Monk game. Which he's a we talked about it the other episode. He's an interesting player to watch because like he's such a no no. He's the biggest no no yes guy ever. Like on our roster, without a doubt. Yeah, especially on the, like on the Kings ever. I mean, um, you're. He's overly flashy. The way he handles is kind of like, man, he's gonna get picked. Uh, yeah, those those lot those long crossovers, swooping crossover. Um, and he just he just moves so much different than everybody else on the court, and some and it's kind of to his own like definitely beat, definitely to his own beat, you know, which is cool. But yeah, last night you go from him midway through the third, like fuck, dude. For me, it's the entry pass. It's the pick and roll passes right now that are just. I think it's across the board. It's not just Malik because him and Javel are. I think they've scored the most pick and roll. Yeah, I feel like we run the most pick and roll action when Malik's in the game. Yeah, 
which is his strength. But those passes have been a little, I think, just across the board. Like those passes that were working so efficiently last year, even if just dumping into Sabonis. And I love the unselfishness, but it's been a little sloppy in the first three games, especially that Warrior game. It was really, really bad. But uh, yeah, Malik basically took over, had 10 points in overtime, two, three, or an A1, a big three, a couple free throws. He just feels like, I feel like he's just better in big moments. Like he, he is, and that's him. the type of guy we need. He's the type of guy everybody needs. And I feel like the Lakers, especially last year, missed his presence. They're a, they're a lot deeper now since they made the Russell Westbrook trade and did all those maneuvering at the deadline last year. But immediately in the beginning of last season, you felt the loss for the Lakers. And that was a popular topic among Lakers media was, was letting Malik go for that price tag worth it. And the, the emergence of Austin Reeves for them Definitely soothed that, even though even though Reeves was uh, he turned into a pumpkin, as we would say. One for twelve last night, very solid. Which I like Austin Reeves. Yeah, I do. He's steady, man. Him and Malik are very comparable as like just like ranking players, just ranking players in a list. Their their play types nothing alike, but their numbers are very similar, and the way they get it done is just couldn't be more more different. the way I think their play type is very similar. The way that it looks is completely different. That that's probably pretty agreeable because because Reeves got is a sneaky playmaker. Um, is Kevin Dur- is a cardio cardio Kevin? Sorry, sorry, Kev. I, I don't mean to to label your um, struggle so far as cardio Kevin. It just cardio with a K just it rolls. It just it looks aesthetically pleasing when I type it. So when you're not hitting threes and are just out there, you're, you're cardio Kevin. We love you, Kevin. You're a fan favorite here. Yeah, but when you hit in threes, like you did to close out the game last night, the red velvet name gets pulled out yet again. Yeah. But but when you're struggling, you're cardio, Kev. Sorry to say. We love you. It sucks. But a uh, big, big couple shots for him. It's weird watching a guy like carry over negative, conf- like bad confidence from a, from the year before. I know. It's been very, it's been a touchy situation. You know, I was very surprised on how much talk there was about Kevin Herter's position in the starting lineup and just in on the team in general going into the season. It felt really forced in a playoff series where there was a lot of fingers to be pointed and, you know, Fox broke his finger and everything else that happened in that series. But it it's real tension with him. And I really hope that we see the version of him that we saw throughout the majority of last season because we need it. The shooting guard position is a problem. Duarte is Duarte. Yeah. Um, and Malik's just talked about Malik. He doesn't. I mean, even Mike Brown said in his post game, he could start, but they're pretty locked in with him being the, the bench guy that when they need the, uh, another facilitator to come take over, run the offense, like Malik's going to have nights where he doesn't do a whole lot because Fox is so good or they just supporting cast is so good, but Malik's going to win you games like how we just won that game last night of taking over Fox is out. Now you have a guy that can create, get his own shot at most pivotal times. Like, but with the shooting guard position as a whole, we look at like, all right, you need to do two things really well to stay on the court right now in this like system. The Kings are running at the shooting guard position. It's knock down shots and play decent defense. We're not yeah. talking good defense. We're talking competent defense. Yeah. That's all. We're not talking about a, a true defensive force here. We don't need that. Yeah. Well, we do need that, but it's not within expectations. I don't know if we're going to get consistent, competent defense out of that position, but at least, at least we have to have three-point shooting there. Because um, I think this is a, a roster that is, yeah, it's, it's, Definitely in dire need of of defensive stoppers, but if they can't hit shots even before that, then I'm like, okay, our identity is hitting shots. Like we're not identity based as a, as a defensive based team, and we're too early to to lock in on our identities. You know, I mean, we slutty improvement on the defensive side, but this this team doesn't look itself in the mirror and say we're stoppers, not in the slightest. So back to Herder, horrible first two games. By, I mean not just his um, by his standards and but and just, just every just and every standards. overall I mean, standards are right. Three points in in two combined games, uh, or set. What do you have? Seven points against Utah. Um, 
and then zero. So he was averaging three after the first two games. Had 12 points last night. Didn't score against the Warriors. Only took five, five attempts. But, yeah, I mean, someone who we looked at that, like, pointed to at that series, like, if we just got a normal regular season Kevin Herter, I think they win the Warriors series. If he just makes a couple of big shots here or there, I think it changes the complexion of how that series looks. Yeah, if him and Harrison Barnes show up in any way in that series, it's completely different. And that's not even like to pick on Harrison for the missed game winner. Like that, you know, that Black Falcon call. You know, we love Black Falcon. He's a steady force and probably the nicest human being to be on this team in a very long time. That's definitely understated. And just the Harrison Barnes experience for us. I mean, he's been on this team for eight years now. It's been eight? No, it's been waiting. He just got his six. He just got his. Look this up. Oh, I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on it, but he's been here for at least. He just got his second contract with the team, so at least six. He's been a king since 2019, so not eight years. Oh wow, I I totally shanked that one. It's, uh, a, it's a solid five years, but you know, still, I mean, that's the that's where we're at as a franchise. You know, when it's Fox who just got his extension off his rookie deal is our longest tenured player. And that goes back to our rebuilding talks. You know, this is the first proper success. I'd say we made the playoffs and we're carrying over strong. It's the first successful rebuild we've had since the team fell apart after the, uh, the glory days as we would call them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The, the glory days of one, one one Western conference finals. Conference finals. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, you know you're rooting for a shitty historical fan base, and we just this is our hundredth year too. It's crazy the Kings have had a hundred years, and hey. I mean they've only been in Sacramento since like '85, but still it's like, damn, not a whole lot to show for a hundred years of history. You know, I got pretty salty a few years back. I forgot who it was. Some national writer said that uh, the Sacramento Kings. This was like right after we we fired Dave Yeager and, and hired Luke Wall and said the Sacramento Kings are the uh, Cleveland Browns of the NBA. And, you know, I felt some way about that, but you look at the statistics, we're worse. <laughs> I don't even know how that's possible. I know the punching bag of North American professional sports, and there's the Kings lurking behind them, hiding. It's truly been probably the most humbling experience of my life. Being a Kings fan. Being a Kings fan. We're that post. You know, what What are we, Gen, we're Gen Z, right? So we're that post, because we don't remember the 2001, 2002 series. At least I don't. And I barely remember when Vladi was even on the team. Oh two, oh three. I mean, the I don't remember the actual series against the Lakers, but the next couple of years is when I really start. Like yeah. the Supersonic series. The Supersonic series was one of my first hard memories as a Sacramento Kings fan. The first time I felt invested in basketball. The Timberwolves series two, which I think that might have been the year before that. Well, I think that was 0203 or maybe 0304. I don't know specifically. That was when Anthony Peeler elbowed KG in the face and they got into it. That was sick. Shout out Anthony Peeler. Shout out. Kings legend. Um yeah but anyways the Kings are two and one now. Um I'd say it's I mean Good start to the year. Right? Uh, absolutely. I'm, I would say the first checkpoint of, we could say we had a good start is 10 games, but you know, you can't, you can't have a good start in 10 games. You don't go two and one, right? So the first bit of adversity is now been, been dealt. We haven't talked about it yet, but De'Aaron Fox did turn his left ankle um, towards the end of the third. Was it the end of the third? End of the, th- no, it was the, uh, it was towards the end of the, f- the middle of the fourth quarter. Like six, like seven six, minutes, six, left. seven yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. left. Yes. I think he was out for about two minutes, comes back in, hits a three, hits a pull-up, a couple assists. Um, he really steadied the waters when he came back in. I don't think... Yeah, they were in a, in, a, in a micro perspective, if De'Aaron doesn't come back from the locker room and check back into that game, they lose that, they game. Lose that game in regulation. Yeah, they, the Lakers were... They were a couple of possessions. They extended the lead to four. Then I think they got it to six, and it was, it was slipping, and then De'Aaron came back in, scores five. Um, Starts overtime, like you mentioned earlier. You know, um, Mike Brown was like, "Yeah, he just walked out there on his own." Did you see what Kevin Herter said after the game? No, 
He said they were in the huddle, and Mike Brown told De'Aaron he was not going back in the game. And he said, so Kevin kind of like spaced out and wasn't really paying attention to it, and he walked onto the floor, and he said he looks to his right, and he just sees De'Aaron, and he goes, what the hell? And apparently De'Aaron just said, uh, you know, Mike Brown, I, I, I like your advice most of the time, but I'm not getting taken out of this game. And, you know, Mike, to his credit, gave De'Aaron a minute in that overtime. And it, it was uh, apparent that he should not be on the floor. The adrenaline was 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 coming out of the system and he was gimping. Uh, Shams did report today that it's not serious and he could be back within a week. But nevertheless, the Kings will now you know, they'll play the Warriors. Um, who's our next? Warriors, Rockets, Rockets, Thunder. And, you know, I would say that I would think De'Aaron would be out all three of those games, if not the Thunder game as well. But the Houston perspective, you know, that's that's De'Aaron's hometown. It's and outside of outside of Sacramento, that's that's his favorite place to play. And I, that's where his family is. And he just loves showing up and playing in Houston. And if he can fight it out and play in that second Houston game, I would not be surprised if he's back within, within a week. Also, looking at this to play devil's advocate, I mean, yeah, it's great. It's his hometown. Awesome. However, it's fucking Houston. I think they're going to be the worst team maybe in all of basketball this year, certainly in the West. So it's not like pressing to to run it back and, and try to get him get him back right away. I mean, three games, four games isn't the end of the world the first two weeks of the season. And the way the schedule is stretched out these days, you know, we start earlier, it ends later. It's it's They've done so many things over the years, getting back to the resting BS to try to stop players from sitting out of games where they have no good reason besides they want to to sit out of these games. The Kings play three games over the next 10 days. That's pretty nice. It's, it's beautiful for us, you know, but 10 days. That's, I mean, it's a stretched out schedule and there's a lot of time to heal in between there with just the medicine they got and all the trainers and everything else. But De'Aaron will be back soon. And it's sad that he got injured because it would be feel, we, we still should talk about the growth that we've seen early on. I mean, it's like he's been so good at year after year after year of just, just getting better at one or two things every season. His his points, his efficiency goes up every year, and it looks like we're on that that path again this yeah. year. Yeah, it's just, and he's still 26, 25, my age. Yeah, our age, our age. He um, that it was crazy because he was in the uh, the first class of players that ever went in the league that were our age. Yeah, it was that year for you, and then the, and then the Bagley, Luca. You know, I would screw that. No, no, no. Let's back it up. You know, I, I dropped the bugaboo. We'll I dropped I dropped the bugaboo. The, the, I said his name. I said his name. <laughs> we'll try not to talk about a certain player from a certain team very much in this podcast because it's going to haunt us till the end of time as much as we are happy the Kings are good. But it's still, you know, we're still getting through it. You know, you know, and I'm a, a good guy and I'm not a victory lap type of guy, but I have way too many receipts that if I ever run up to Vladi on the, on the sidewalk, you know, I love you, Vladi. You're, you're a very nice, huggable looking man, but I, I might throw some shade your way yeah. about that draft pick. I mean, Jesus. Um, yeah. We saw Vladi at the game the other night. Yeah, we did. You know, it was, it was so predictable. It's funny because it's a torn legacy for him, you know, for the younger fans. We remembered, I remember GM Vladi a lot better than I do player Vladi and man, my memories get soured, but back to the game, Caleb, get us back to the game. Yeah. One other caveat about Vladi. I don't know of any other person that still hangs out with their former boss that fired them on a, on a daily basis of like at the place that you would be doing that job, you know, like, it's literally like if you got fired from working a teaching job and you just be hanging out with the principal, like at the, the basketball game that night, like just having a, like a relationship with your boss that fired you in the place that like is the reason you got fired because like you work at the pretty much work at the arena. Like if the guys don't perform in the arena that night, it's like all your work is like, ah oh, shit. Like this is the test. This is like, this is the test, right? Every time your team goes out and play that you manage, you're basically getting tested, and I just think it's kind of funny that Vladi still sits at home games with that owner that fired him. You think Vladi looks at Monty and goes, "Hey, that De'Aaron guy, I drafted him." Yeah, that's got to be weird. I wonder what how Monty feels. Like, I know I'm glad Monty doesn't sit with Vivek because I <laughs> let's be real here. As much as we love, you know, getting the new arena and keeping the Kings in sack, we've been very 
very vocal against Vivek over the you he's, know his tenure. He's finally kind of got it in the right. Uh, last since Monty walked through the door, he's been honestly even a little bit before that. He tried to let go of the wheel. You know, he just gave the, the he just gave bullshit. We yeah, got over. he just gave the team to the wrong guy. You know, Vladi and. I was I was gonna throw Jaeger and Walton under the bus there, but let's just go with Walton because we love you too, Dave Jaeger. We did like Dave Yeager. Love the love Dave Jaeger. We still miss Mike Moreland. I'll never not I'll never not miss Mike Moreland. I love Mike Brown though. And same staff. They're cut from the same cloth. Yeah, Jordy Fernandez is a future star in the making. Yeah, that's a that's gonna be a real bummer, I think, because he'll be gone at the end of the year. Anyways, back to the game. So once again, Kings beat the Lakers, one thirty two. The 127. Um, big games from Fox. Sabonis just had another Sabonis game. I think the only other thing about Sabonis that when he gets in foul trouble, I'm like, dude, just chill out a little bit. Oh, my like, God. Dude, when he dove into 80s legs, I was, like, screaming at the TV, and I was like, okay, deep breath. They didn't call the foul. And then Sabonis stands up and just instantly goes to grab the ball from AD 90 feet from the basket and gets his sixth foul. I was like. It's like he, he has one speed. Which is, I mean, he's going to continue to be a, a regular season stud because he just busts just bust guys' ass. Like, guys just aren't willing to work as hard as he is. Uh, and that, that's what makes him fun to watch. But at the same time, it's like, dude, we can't have you out of this game for a long period of time. And it was weird when he got, you're right, they went small. And I thought that was, that was the only, like, question that I had in, like, I this is where I want Javel minutes, um, more Javel minutes because Javel just does things that we haven't seen. Yeah, like dude, we haven't a big do ever. For he does part. all the things. Speaking, of, we're gonna bring up another former pain of ours from the past. He just does all the things that we wish Willie Cauley Stein would do. Exactly you know, like that. Willie Cauley Stein got drafted in the top ten, and that went in his mind that he needed to be a star and God did it ruin his play style. And who his, has um, least who's the least self-aware person, buddy Heal or Willie Cauley Stein as far as knowing their role, knowing what they were brought in to do. Who's who's, dude, who's worse so from a like, self-aware standpoint. It's, it's gotta be Willie Cauley Stein, you know, at least buddy while he's on the court, plays within himself to a certain point but willie Cauley stein after he left kentucky thought you know i need to turn my game into anthony davis and it is not the way it went sadly yeah man poor i thought it was a good pick too but at least a pick we know that's going to be a slam dunk at least i could say at this point is keegan murray yeah yep keegan another 17 last night He's averaging on the year. I think I still think he's gonna get it up to twenty. He is. He is. His efficiency th- numbers have been well below last year, and just his standard as a player. I mean, he was insanely proficient at Iowa as well, and just that's just the type of player he is. And once he starts knocking down shots, my biggest going into the season was I want Keegan to shoot more shots. Yeah. And through three games, he has not shied away. And from what we saw between his little. uh little talk with Mike Brown on the sideline yesterday. Mike Brown agrees with me and Caleb about him getting up shots. Yeah. Well, uh, let's play the clip. The only re- reason he'll probably come out of games this year when he's not supposed to and to get some rest, if he doesn't shoot the freaking ball. And uh, he, it was great because the, the next opportunity he got, I, th- I think he turned to me and said, looked at me and said, F you, <laughs> which I loved. That's but great. to have that um, relationship where it's like, I think Mike Brown made that story up. Yeah, but, I think I think he did too. I think he did like, too. It's crazy. Did I've never seen a coach like try so hard to get a guy to like come out of his shell a little bit and be more like, I think especially with this generation and the generation that like we grow up in, like everybody is look at me. Um, let me get mine. Let me get my likes. Let me get my views. Let me get whatever. Um, and like, I got to show out and Keegan is just like, he's an old ass soul. He's just an old, he's a grown ass man at 20 or 21 that, and for Mike to be like, um, dude, if you don't shoot the ball, you're coming out of the fucking game. 
And then to make, I, I don't think Keegan said fuck you to Mike Brown. And there's he, there's absolutely no, no way. Chance. There's no way that came out of his mouth. But why would a coach, like, I've never seen a coach tell a, like, tell a story like that to, in order to just continue. Like, this guy is a robot. He's literally a when he cyborg. Did, he just doesn't. He's even keel. Um, I, I, the fact that they have two of those guys in their starting lineup, him and Harrison Barnes, it's probably really annoying to Fox. Sometimes he's like, dude, you guys got to like say well, something. We need some fire. We yeah. need some fire. But you know who's bring, been bringing the fire to the team and who's been a really just solid piece so far, surprisingly, semi-surprisingly because of what his preseason numbers were, is just Sasha. 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 You know, by the end of the season, I will say his full name on this podcast perfectly, but I am yeah. not even going to. Vazinkov. 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 You know. Don't want to tell. I know he's not Russian, but God, that's a Russian last oh, name. Very much so. Oh, very Vizinkov. much so. Vazinkov. God, he's, he sounds like a Russian mobster. Yeah. No, dude, he has been, honestly, one of the most consistent players that the Kings have had this year as far as he's done the same thing like three nights in a row. He gets in, comes in, hits a couple threes. Um, his, re- he rebounds really well. His cutting has been great. He's got and, a good yeah, feel on offense. Really good feel. You good, good feel like, um, yeah, he just is feel. I feel like he's a guy that's right spot in the right time kind of guy. Um, and he's gonna, he's gonna draw, uh, teams are gonna get go after him every time he's in. So they're gonna put him in pick and roll. They're gonna get after him because he's not a true four. And he's not, he's not, uh, his, his lateral movement is not good enough to guard any wings at a, at least high level wings. But I mean, as a role player, I mean, we can't, you have a skill. You know, and that's why you're a role player. You know, you have a skill, you come off the bench, and that's what you do. And, you know, we're not going to ask Sasha to guard the best player on the other team, even though he guarded LeBron way too many minutes last night randomly. Very random. I was just like, this is like three possessions in a row where Sasha is just ISOed with LeBron right now. And he held his own obsession or two, but that's not the ideal situation for him. But he's been great in his role. And when Lyles comes back, it's going to be very interesting to see how the minutes get split up. Between him, Lyles, McGee, and do we don't have any other forward that comes off the bench besides them, right? Um, Kessler Edwards got a little uh, a little bit of run at the end of the at um the end of the game last night for defensive purposes. Oh. I don't really consider Chris Duarte a three. I mean, I think he's a shooting guard that plays the two and the three though in the NBA are, are basically the same position at this point. They just whatever the different matchups are, and I'm sure. Um, it's just a talking purpose, I feel like, for people yeah. now. Like, that's how we categorize people so we can talk about them a lot easier. I don't think Mike Brown puts people on a on a board and marks them one, two, or yeah. three, or forward, a small forward. You know, that's just us. Yeah, the two and three and the three and four, especially for this roster, are completely interchangeable. Completely. There's, not, there's outside of JaVale and Sabonis... Everybody else is pretty much interchangeable mm-hmm, at this mm-hmm. point. And the different combinations that you're going to get are going to be pretty much um, unpredictable at this point. I think Sasha is... I don't even think he's been unleashed yet either. And I don't think they're running anything quite... I mean, that, there's been a couple times they've had some, some DHOs for him. And then, you know... Um, he's just getting his getting feet like wet in the league. Screen, yeah. I mean, um, European players, I mean, you, as us, you know, we think ball is ball, you know. But uh, every European player comes over, says it's a little bit of an adjustment period. You know, and funnily enough, you know, we as American superiorists that we are, you know, we th- when Lucas said it's easier to score in the NBA, we took that a little, a little bit sideways. But I, it's true, you know, we don't, the physicality isn't the same. The style isn't the same. The that's court, the, the court. The spacing is not the same. Like so, now he's gotten he's got more room to work. He's got a deeper corner. Um, he shoots it really well at the top of the key. I got. I just. I want more, honestly. Um, just like. More shots. Like I want him to get more shots. I think it's going to be very much, to the likes of, of Keegan last year. I'm just like, anxious, an- anxiously because he's a new player. Technically a rookie, like every time, every time Keegan takes a shot, I'm, I'm ha- I feel like it's a good shot. Yeah, it is. It's a good shot, and that you know we do- Mike doubled and tripled down on that last night about 
because he, he was talking about the play where Keegan double dribbled and then he was about to get pulled and then comes back and hits the shot right again. He said, any time that a smaller player than you is closing out on you, you need to shoot the ball. Yeah. And that's just, that's just the way. There's no bad open shot in the NBA anymore. Yeah, and I think those two players are their two like head and shoulders best shooters right now until, I mean, it should be Herter. Monk is, um, Monk's a streaky. He's a streaky. He's a streaky shooter. I mean, he's not a guy that I expect to just come in and hit a couple of knockdown threes. I expect him to come in and hit a couple of pull-up threes and, and do like, he's going to have a little bit more um, of an inconsistent role just because of what he's asked to do. For Sasha, like, He's gonna come in and pull a couple threes a game, and if like I just love that, like he's hit a yeah. We're gonna look at his. You're game. gonna look at his stat line every game. And it's gonna be like eight points, seven points, ten points, twelve points, six. Uh-huh. Like just it's just whatever's need uh, needed of him. He comes in and he does it. And you know, it's it's nice to see because he was Euro League MVP last year. You know, he was the best player in the second best league in the world last yeah. year, and he's getting asked to come in and play. A smaller role than he's probably ever played before and he's just feeding into it you can tell the guys like him him fox and sabonis were all just going crazy after one of sasha's shots last night i just i i love to see it yeah i couldn't imagine making that adjustment and they uh i mean he's probably never lived in america since, right yeah he's never lived in america uh, i was talking to um, renee malamed at the game um friday the warrior game in about fan fest because she went um sacramento kings fan fest yeah really a couple weeks ago and they had like a dance contest and they had sasha up there and they're just playing him a bunch of like pop songs here and he's just like no 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 yeah and it was just like yeah he's probably who's pulling a Jokic, you know we see all koi Jokic, and then we see his off-season videos of him just absolutely getting down to serbia music man in his element I, i love it yeah, so it was just like a very like yeah, we're he is definitely adjusting, and I think even just hearing him interview and how he's just kind of like been brought along. I feel like Eastern Europeans aren't as deeply like into American For pop sure. culture as a lot of the rest of the world is, and you know because we get a lot of people over here from different countries who know American pop culture and all that other stuff, and then there's guys like like uh, Sasha, I think, and then Jokic, you were just like, yeah, that's just not, yeah. that's not my thing. I want, I want to go race my horse. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I think um, we think that we're, and we are, especially culturally, like, yeah, people do pay attention, but even just being in Eastern Europe this summer, like, I'm, I kind of got a taste of like, yeah, they don't care that much. Yeah, like, they just no. don't, they just don't give a shit. I mean, because you know, when the whole like wider like perspective, you know, they say Western culture or whatever, you know, that means Europe as well. Yeah. So it's not like it's American culture that's seeping into all these other areas. You know, it's, it's just Western culture and Europe's a part of that. And I don't think European players, like, they're into the NBA for sure. But into the culture and into this, into our music and everything else, I think a lot of those guys are checked out. I think so too, and I think to each their own. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sure, there are guys that are absolutely, but like it doesn't surprise me at all that Sasha's very reserved and not this big, like flamboyant. Like Lucas, Lucas, I guess would be the alternative example. Luca kind of seems like a guy that it, it pays a little bit of attention to culture, but he still moves to the beat of his own drum too. It's not like. Oh, I forgot to. I said his word. I said his name. I oh, you that. forgot about the bugaboo. Yeah. yeah, I think this is just a good time to to call it because I don't want to talk anymore about that that five letter. That, that yeah, that, that word. Yeah, that that word and uh, oh, it's that four, that's four that's letters, four. It's I'm four sorry. letters, you know. I'm but yeah, it's 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 okay. We don't like we don't like that guy, but we love that guy. All <laughs> right. Well, um, this has been a good. I would say first show. Um, yeah, you, you know, we we talked about a lot more random shit than I think we planned in the beginning. But, you know, but that's just that's unstructured conversation at its best sometimes, you know. This will get better. It'll 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 be there'll be more structure. There'll be more. OK, I'm going to come in. Boom, boom. This is what I'm going to get from the boys. But for right now, we're just going to let it fly and be. Uh, be natural. You know, we're just yeah. in here having a conversation to friends talking about our favorite sports team. 
while also crying about our second favorite sports teams. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, you know, this has been a, a lifetime bond that over our, uh, our Kings happiness now and all of the bad times that we've had as Kings fans. But I think over the years we've had a, our moments where we, uh, you know, enjoy the little things. Yeah. We, we, we have found, we have found the, the, the good in the places where I don't think, um, it should have been found in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Like, I think we've been able to parlay this into a, a, a better friendship because of how bad the Kings have been. I think that's that's how I'm going to spin zone this is it's created the bonds that I have with Kings, other Kings people like my brother, a couple of our other friends. I think it's made this, the bond of our relationship a little bit stronger. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this year and beyond, maybe we might feel a little bit of different irks, you know, maybe a tough, an, another tough playoff loss, you know, second, second round, I'd hope this year, maybe before we get over the hump in a couple of years, you know, that's the, that's the type of pain I can live with, you know, a little, a little disappointment after a season of really good times. Cause we had a great time. Last it's year. a lot different pain. Like I said, it's, it's, it's like when you're, when you're not a playoff team, it's like you don't have a job. Right. And then once you have that job, you start bitching about, well, I, the job could be better. Well, I yeah. wish I was doing this in the job. Well, my boss is, you know, and so it's one of those things where it's like, you just got to be grateful in the moment that you have a job. Because when you are unemployed, it's the worst, most like, you know, small feeling in the world. It's like being a non-playoff team. Every, you know, everything Why? pisses you off. There's no like... There's no good to even sift through. So yeah, it's watching teams lose negative. tough games, and you're like, yeah, a small part of me is like, damn, I I wish that was us. You know, I wish we were playing that game. You know, even if that was us getting that shot hit on us. You know, and we felt that last year. And I I think I don't know if it's it's not safe to say. You know, we're three games into the season, but I have a good feeling that it's going to continue on an upward trajectory for at least the next five years. And I feel really great grateful for that. Grateful to the team, grateful to the players, grateful and to everybody. Honestly, if it doesn't happen, this podcast probably won't be a thing because yeah. we're not going to spend our free time talking about a shitty basketball team. I'm sorry. It sounds like a bandwagon podcaster. We have um, watched a lot of bad basketball. And we've had long, hour-long conversations about how we would fix bad basketball. We don't know shit. We're never going to be in the GM's office or even have... GM's number, Maybe but if Monty, but I mean, if Monty, if you uh, if you want to send me a an offer, I'll take assistant GM for sure. If you actually want to come on the pod and and well, we could discuss details, but no pressure, Monty, no pressure. Anyways, thanks for tuning in to to Beam Fiends, and uh, you'll hear us again after the next win. Peace.